Hey everyone, my name is William Leonard and I am your co-host of the Atlanta Startup Podcast. And today we've got a fantastic conversation featuring the entirety of Valor Ventures General Partnership and myself. And our team is here together to have a strong conversation about the trends we're most excited about in the Southeast startup VC ecosystem in 2022. So tune in. Take notes and enjoy the insights you'll hear from Lisa Calhoun, Robin Bianfei, Gary Pete, Renee Montgomery, and myself as we have a roundtable discussion about what gets us most excited in 2022. Hey, this is Lisa Calhoun, General Partner at Valor Ventures, and we're excited to pull our investment team together to talk about trends we're seeing in 2022. It's an incredible year, right? And But first, before we jump all in, I want to make sure you get a chance to meet the investment team. And I'm going to pass the ball to my colleague and general partner, Gary Pete, to give a quick introduction about himself. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, my background is 20 years as general partner investing in seed stage, just like Valor. Uh, half that career has been investing in Southeast United States. So I'm just doing what I love. Glad to be a part of the team. I'm also excited to welcome General Partner at Valor, Robin Bienfey. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. I'm Robin Bienfey, and I've been in the corporate world actually acquiring technology for most of my career. And I love this side of the table because it allows me to invest and see innovation first and uh, give my lens to the corporate space and enterprise. You know, Robin, so many of our partners know your illustrious background, but for those who don't, would you mind sharing with them the companies you have done acquisitions for? Oh, yeah. I was uh, with AT&T for a large part of my career and actually ran AT&T's global network as an officer of the company and chief compliance officer for environment, health, and safety, ran Bell Laboratories. For AT&T, I think I have around 15 patents, went to BlackBerry as their CIO, ran their publicly traded company as their CIO, but also handled all their product security. So I had the product security team, which is not typical for a CIO. Uh, I have a patent with BlackBerry as well on wireless technology and uh, ran, I was the CTO for software. Uh, You know, when you work for a company like that, that's growing so fast, you wear the many hats as an executive. I transitioned from BlackBerry because Samsung kept calling me on the phone and I was the chief enterprise innovation officer for Samsung and built Samsung's business services from zero to 15 billion now. With a B. Renee, how about our newest general partner joined Valor in late 2021, and I am so excited to get her take on trends. Renee Montgomery, please share a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Look, I'm excited to join. You've already heard from the brilliance that's already I'm joining the group and the team, and that's exciting for me because with a basketball background, I'm used to being a part of teams and I've been a part of a couple championship teams and I know the energy and spirit that it feels. So I'm excited to join Valor because I get that same feel. And then things that get me excited are meeting new founders, you know, getting startups to that next stage, watching things build and grow because that's the world that I came from, building great teams, building good teamwork, good energy. So yeah, I'm excited Lisa to join the squad. I am too. And we're going to have so much fun investing through 2022. And also on the investment team, William Leonard, who is the face of Valor to literally hundreds of startups every year. William, let people know a little bit more about you. Hey, everyone. Pleasure to see you all. Uh, My name is William Leonard. I'm an investor here at Valor. 
Uh, I've spent my early career in early stage uh, venture capital. And here at Valor, I'm leading our sourcing efforts, oftentimes the first point of contact that founders have with our team and also co-host of the Atlanta Startup Podcast. So would love for you to check us out on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred uh, listening platform. Thanks, William. Now, to understand the themes that we think are most relevant for VC investors in 2022 and things we're really excited about, it's interesting to take a look back at where we're coming from. And Gary had a couple of thoughts to share, but I just wanted to kind of take a look at, Gary, how would you articulate themes we should be thinking about going into 2022 based on what we've inherited from the last year, what we've seen in public markets, what we've seen in SPACs? What does this say to you as someone who's been a general partner for 20 years investing in the South? It says to me, one, that software has become much larger as a part of the economy than any of us ever expected 20 years ago. And now the, ma- the majority of liquidity events that have happened are actually software companies, SPACs and IPOs. And so you have a newly minted crop record numbers of newly minted public companies that are SaaS businesses that need to grow. And now that they're public, they're going to grow both organically and inorganically. And so we've got a lot more candidates to buy SaaS companies at high public company multiples, and they need to buy growth. So I think uh, benefiting you know, rather directly from that trend. I definitely want to open this up. Any comments or thoughts on that? I know when I hear that, I think about very true. I mean, I completely agree. I also believe that most, even pretty savvy investors are under the impression that there's record capital investing in venture right now. And so how could it be a hot acquisition market in 2022 if everything is exorbitantly expensive? Well, that's a terrific point. More than 60% of early stage growth VC went in what's known as mega rounds, rounds of 100 million or more. And so unfortunately, you know, a small handful, 10% of the firms that raise early stage capital took 60% of the money, leaving smaller and smaller rounds for the rest of the people. It's sort of an unprecedented circumstance and not one that can persist forever. But the valuations of companies that aren't doing mega rounds don't have their valuation puffed up by a bunch of cash on their balance sheet in the post money from financing to financing. And so, you know, they're, we see quite rational valuation at seed stage. We're seeing some single digit valuations, whereas the averages are skewed above that. Absolutely. We're regularly putting out term sheets of single digit valuations to top founders. I mean, they don't always get accepted, but we're definitely seeing, especially in the South, that opportunity to be that essential provider of first round professional capital. William, I want to bring you into this a little bit. You know, you're talking to literally dozens of founders, sometimes outbound calling, but also attending a lot of events. What do you feel the energy is like at the, the very early stage, at the seed round? And how is that being impacted by all of the public exits and exits via IPO? Yeah, I think within this region, there's a lot of excitement at the early stage. Uh, Obviously, as we've seen as a team, founders are raising a lot of capital at pretty high valuations. But I think this region is special because the founders know that it doesn't take exorbitant amounts of capital to grow a business and to really sustain it and build it in an efficient manner. So the founders here are really seeking the capital in a smart way, I'd say, where they're not raising too much money. That puts themselves in a position uh, potentially for a down round at the next round, um, because that's something that is a very realistic prospect that could happen. And I think the founders here in the region are highly aware of that. And um, Valor, we're aware of that as well. So 
I think there's a lot of excitement, but a lot of awareness as well, I say. One of the things about the South that I really appreciate is that it's not Silicon Valley done again. Mm-hmm. Founders here have learned from the experience of founders in the Valley and in other ecosystems. Definitely, you know, kind of students of the game. And so I feel like the early stage market here plays out a little bit more differently because we're standing on the stories and experiences of previous generations of venture capital. You know, bottom line, I believe the the trend we're all pretty bullish about at Valor is that all of the upstream liquidity in tech provided by IPOs is going to bring acquirers downstream into high growth SaaS companies with some serious critical mass. So Gary, how do you feel that that relates to some of Valor's portfolio this year ahead? When we think about, and Robin, when you think about what a company is looking for in an acquisition, I'm sure we have founders who would love to know your perspective on the kind of metrics they have to hit to start entering that, getting LOIs and starting to get interesting offers. One of the things I would say, and please add, Robin, the fact is that they've got, you know, real, really serious growth expectations, whether a SPAC that bought something or an IPO traditional method, there's great growth expectations in those stocks or they wouldn't justify going public at all. And so what that does is that increases the expectation that the entrepreneurs would have if you're a 20 million run rate business and all of a sudden you have more people that can pay a very high value uh, to acquire your company earlier than you might have. Uh, And they have to, you know, have growth at all costs because if their multiple comes down, you've seen some of the problems in the popular press when that goes down. So I think on balance, there's just going to be anybody at 20 to 50 million run rate growing a 25 to 50% or more, I think you're going to get a whole crop of new people pounding on your door sooner than you're thinking about exiting. You're going to be talking to people about it. Yeah. And and I actually, you know, from, from my perspective, I look at it from kind of a different lens in that um, for 2020, the pressure on all the corporates and businesses that are out and trying to make their numbers and improve their, and, and people have heard me say this before, innovation left the corporation five or six years ago. And innovation is happening entrepreneurs and our new founders. And, and the hard thing for all of us is there's such a drive for talent and the talent, the fight for talent is causing another pressure that's got to come about. And then you've got the corporates, they're having to worry about their goals towards ESG at the same time that they're trying to create new revenue channels, along with all the other challenges that they have. You know, the big gaps that a lot of corporates have and still have, those mainly in the regulatory space, are the ones where they're challenged by all this data they have, but they don't know how to monetize that data. So having an entrepreneur that has figured out how to bring that data and give insights to the data or monetize the data that a certain vertical might have is tremendous value. And of course, that enterprise is going to be shopping for that person or or solution. And it's a software solution in trying to capture it before it becomes uh, too expensive to purchase or acquire or gets acquired by somebody else. So there's always this look on the look for that innovation outside of the corporation that they can maybe, I don't want to say get uh, at least cost or cheap. I did that kind of hunting a lot. I was always a secret shopper. Uh, people would see me come to a meeting and something. They're like, why is Robin there? Well, I was secretly shopping for something that we had a gap on. And, and I sit and I work with a lot of the financial institutions and insurance institutions and 
the gap that they have in, in monetizing their data is huge. So any analytics or trends there. The other gap that the corporates and businesses are still fighting is how to reduce all their risks. You know, as they migrate to a digitized uh, format or digital strategy, they've got to move from their old environments into new environments. Being able to migrate that data in a way that is still consumable and usable into a new format, a new environment, is a tremendous challenge for them. But they've got to de-risk it all the time. So anything that helps them bring down or peel down that risk with all the new cyber threats in the digital world is also an extreme um, trend for 2022. Spoken like someone with a lot of experience. Well, I want to shift the conversation to something that is on the minds of really everyone investing or considering investing in venture capital. Where should I be investing? Um, Every geography has its unique points and plenty of people saying invest in, for example, China, Southeast Asia, uh, Central America. And and Valor, too, I think we have a really strong perspective on where smart, savvy investors are looking next to place their capital. And that answer for us is the South, the U.S. South region. So I want to go ahead and go around the room and, and hear from everyone on some of their favorite attributes around the geography that is the U.S. South, because this is going to be an absolutely lit venture capital investing journey over the next year here in the founders who are building here. I think we have a very scrappy South. I came from the South, grew up in South Georgia. And we're very scrappy people. And I think what you're going to find is we've been entrepreneurial for uh, as long as I can think, you know, and and in that space, the talent from all of our great tech schools and medical schools and the, the teams of people that are rolling out in this space, I think we're primed because we have the best inclusive and diverse pool of people you can find anywhere in the United States or maybe even in the world. You know, to piggyback off of that, something else that the South is doing that is great for all industries is that there's an influx of people coming to the South, but not only an influx of people heading South, but tech businesses are heading here as well. And and across all industries, the South has so many things that are appealing other than the West, you know, price points, how to start your businesses. Again, the masses coming, you have an audience, a group. So for me, I've noticed that just the tech companies that are migrating to the South. You have huge, large ones, Google and Vesco, all of them, they're all coming now to the South to build here. And that's for a reason. They wouldn't be coming if there wasn't a reason for them to be here. At Rivian, just locating a billion dollar plant just a few miles from our office headquarters. Um, you know, it's Airbnb putting a regional headquarters here, Amazon, regional Microsoft. Microsoft, exactly. We actually, you can't keep up. It's happening so fast. And that really adds to the local homegrown team of unicorns. That herd is, is insane. So really excited to see companies like, you know, Stored, Full Story, Flock Safety, Calendly, Sales Loft, Um, That herd of local leaders that have passed the unicorn mark is also growing a little bit too fast to even keep up. Our creativity from diversity and inclusion is what puts us on the map for that. And they're going to see more and more of it. I agree. And, you know, I think there's an interesting topic that we haven't really touched on yet. And I think it's Web3, right? And so when you think about 
the, the most talked about things on VC Twitter or really in any tech publication last year, it was almost inevitable to read or write something without mentioning Web3. And so, you know, it really started out as kind of a uh, nascent community. But I think over the course of last year, it evolved into a what I'd label as a burgeoning ecosystem with geographically centralized activity. And so, you know, for maybe some of the listeners on the podcast who don't have a, a good grasp of Web3, it really refers to the internet that is owned by its builders, its creators, and users. And so through the use of tokens and decentralized technology like uh, NFTs, crypto, and the metaverse, you're aiming to eliminate the big middlemen on the internet. And so in 2021, I think the South, uh, specifically Miami, asserted itself as the regional or maybe even global Web3 headquarters. And so when I see a strong concentration of venture dollars flowing to this particular segment and particular region, I think it opens up the door for other cities within the Southeast to upstart their own momentum. And so you know, I'll get to why I think the the regional uprising is inevitable in 2022 in a second, but I think it's important to give some context. And I think the widespread adoption of Web3 is still a few years off. But when you think about the historical context of Web 1.0 and Web 2.0 really getting to mass adoption, it takes about a billion users to get there. And so what I think um, is going to help us get to that figure is the Southeast. And so um, you think about some of the regional characteristics that you all were just mentioning. It's one of the most diverse one of the most populous, and in my opinion, one of the most tech-forward regions in the country. And so we've seen significant venture dollars flow to this region year after year. And so you all were just mentioning some of the strong enterprises here that are established and some of the ones that are moving here as well. And so I think we're still in the early innings of really ushering in this new technology and this new wave of innovation of Web3 to the region. But I'm, I'm so bullish on the Southeast and Web3 adoption here. To piggyback off that, it was Gary who said to me recently that innovation used to take a backseat to location. And so we funded in venture capital a lot of deals that were very focused on places like the Valley. But now innovation is in the front seat and location is in the back seat. And Gary, I wondered if you could dive a little more into that for us, because it really seems to go along with what William is saying around decentralization as a big theme in software and things like that. You have, you know, Web 3.0 to me, uh, you know, pulls you in a certain direction. It's just it's just the, the third technology stack change in the in- Internet. It's the next door in compute. But what I love about the current technology stack already is you have a, a number of people that were geographically inaccessible. One of the dilemmas of building companies in the South and Southeast is when you really start to scale, you realize the advantage places like the New England and the Silicon Valley have, and you start to open offices there because China's trying to scale really fast. Well, all of a sudden, we've built the tools to manage talent to be now fully remote enabled, not just the selling organization. It's always been remote. And so we're starting to access talent that we couldn't talk to as managers of businesses before. And, uh, you know, they don't have to talk about moving to the South from their mountain, their beloved Mountain View, California, but they can access innovation anywhere now with their executive management skills. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, Gary, because location has shifted in all industries. And to that point, like a personal story of mine is that when when the pandemic hit, 
I started calling and working for companies who was based in Los Angeles. I'm a host for a company that is based in Los Angeles. That never happened before. That was the first time they hired it. But because of the technology and how location is not a factor anymore, I can host a show from right here in Atlanta that their studio is in L.A. And to that point, all of these creator, I would say all of these creator economy or sports performance companies, that's that's where it's at right now. Location doesn't matter. Even again, using myself as an example, I'm calling NBA games in the metaverse. And to, to William's point about Web3 and different things of that nature, I'm calling an LA game here from Atlanta. And I'm calling different things in the metaverse because it's creator controlled. You know, it's a creator controlled economy. It's a creator, creator controlled web. And so now innovation, has just taken so many different forms that location doesn't matter at all. So that's what I'm most interested in seeing. What are those sports companies? What are those creator economy companies? Like, that's what I'm interested in seeing. You know, the trends, as we talk about trends, that's the trend that I'm really interested in seeing moving forward. I want to pick up on that. You know, creator economy is something we are bullish about. It's one of those triple digit growth spaces we'll be investing a lot in through 2022. We're also going to be investing a lot in digital health and continue to invest in that. FinTech, cyber, continue to invest in that incredible legacy of FinTech and security that comes out of Atlanta. And also, of course, investing in um, all of the things that you can't even predict that might come out of Atlanta, because one of the things that I don't like about sector investments is it can limit the creativity of the investment team. So if it's B2B and it's SaaS, we are really bullish about seeing it being built here in the South where we have the access to talent and legacy networks and incredible customer bases. Around trends, um, I'd love to just touch base one more time with each one of you. One thing that you think savvy investors are going to want to know about 2022 and venture capital. And I'd like to go in a little bit of a reverse order from our introductions. So I'm going to ping it to William and then let's um, let's wrap it up for everybody and, and lead with your best prediction or information about 2022 based on your rather deep experience investing as a seed lead? Yeah, Lisa, thank you. I think, you know, the the dispersion of Web3 innovation is going to spread throughout this region due to education, funding, and ultimately FOMO as well. And so I think some of the household names are going to start diving into the world of crypto. And when I say household names, I mean enterprises. So they're going to start looking into crypto, uh, NFTs, metaverses, uh, any digital assets that are going to help unlock a new segment of uh, customers and users for their business. So if you're building in Web3 here in the region, one, I would love to learn more about your, your business, your startup and what you're working on. And two, maybe even have you on the Atlanta Startup Podcast um, to share more about your journey, uh, your story and journey as an entrepreneur. So I'll take it. I'll take it. I like that, William. And I'll I have different views because everyone knows I have a sports background. Hello, Atlanta. We're here. And so I'm really interested in the sports performance companies. Like I'm 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 interested in seeing those creator economies because not only is the sports world that's always going to be a business that if you can figure out ways for athletes to be their highest performer, if you have companies that help with 
performance. Of course, I'm interested, but also that creator economy. I think that that's something that that's going to be a trend as William just talked about with Web3 and creators controlling a lot more. Well, what does that economy look like? What does that creator economy look like? What are you building over there? So those are things that I'm looking forward to the trends of 2022. Exciting stuff happening. Definitely here in the A. And and being in the A and staying in the A, I I actually am, I still love data. And and I think, you know, everybody thinks of location, location. I think of how do you monetize data? So I look for any kind of innovation that monetizes data and data can come from creators, NFTs, any of that, but really having your security story and your cyber uh, capability out front because, um, that doesn't ever go away. So I'm kind of a horizontal looking across the industry for those type of aspects. So let me know what you've got. I'd love to hear about it. Fantastic, Robin. That's, that was very interesting. I, I'm really focused on the simple fact that we have un- grossly underestimated how much good software that we need. But a trend that I think you're going to see is, you know, n- nobody really wants to adopt more software. And so now differentiation is going to come not in your feature list, but in how easy your product is, what the user experience is like to engage with that product long term. And if you don't up your game, you're just going to get left behind. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Um, It is exciting to be investing with you. This is an amazing team. And we are in an amazing point in time. I can't wait to see what the rest of 2022 will bring. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation today about VC trends in 2022 that our team is most excited about. And if you did enjoy it, you can dive in a lot deeper through our blog and my ongoing series about data around VC trends in the Southeast US. And so check it out online at valor.vc. Thanks, everyone. We appreciate your listenership and hope you have an amazing rest of your day.